adjust my sound a tad. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, there's a lot to talk about, and I will deliberately um, avoid uh, some questions, not because I don't think that they're important, but simply on the basis of uh, time and um, not wanting to speak, you know, for two or three hours. Um, so in Britain, we have um, the government's um, financial uh, statement. Um, Ricky um, Sunak says that um, Great Britain is um, 280 billion um, in deficit and that this is the um, biggest economic downturn for 300 years. Um, a comrade has pointed out to me that this probably refers to the, the great freeze of 1709 or some bloody date like that. And it wasn't just that the River Thames froze over. Uh, I think in those days it sort of regularly did that and they used to have fairs um, you know, in the middle of uh, the River uh, Thames. Uh, but this obviously was a, a big, big freeze, presumably had, uh, um, how put it, devastating consequences when it came to, I would have thought, agriculture uh, in particular. Either way, <laughs> whatever one compares it with, uh, this is a huge um, uh, economic downturn and it's a global uh, economic uh, downturn. I know that there's a, um, you know, recovery going on in uh, China, uh, but what we're dealing with here is still uh, the world economy, a global uh, economy, and no part uh, of the global economy will go unaffected. How quickly and whether they can actually get out of this hole, um, that's a different uh, question. And uh, we've got some sort of in uh, coming from um, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, how they might uh, try to go about it. Um, you know, we've had uh, VAT, value-added tax, um, um, not being ruled out in terms of uh, increasing it or spreading provisions for VAT to uh, items that at the moment aren't covered uh, with value-added tax. As communists, of course, we oppose um, indirect uh, taxation. They tend to hit ordinary people more. Uh, we favour um, income uh, tax uh, and other related um, forms of taxation. But we're also told that national insurance increases aren't ruled out. Uh, and we have now the definite news that apart from NHS workers, all public sector workers are going to be subject to a pay freeze, which even though inflation is at a very low level, of course means a pay cut uh, for many millions of workers. And if we think about it, um, since 2008 and the financial uh, collapse and the age of austerity, um, I think that we're, what we're dealing with here uh, now is something like, you know, it, it looks like it's going to be uh, at, at the very least uh, two decades of um, stagnant or falling incomes uh, for the mass um, of the um, uh, population. Um, of course, the government will grow. And um, as I've said, um, um, inflation is very low and also. Um, um, interest rates um, are very low. Nonetheless, the level of borrowing that we're talking about is truly um, staggering. And uh, we've had um, a big protest from sort of more liberal sections of bourgeois opinion at the announcement that the foreign aid uh, budget is going to go down from 0.7% of um, GDP to 05 um, I, I use the word aid uh, advisedly here uh, because in reality what we're dealing with is soft power. Um, uh, this is very much something that um, uh, um, is um, 
politically tied with strings. Um, it's very much about existing power structures. Uh, it's very much about uh, uh, doing uh, Britain PLC uh, a favor as opposed to uh, an act of uh, generosity. In other words, what we've got in Britain um, is a situation where soft power is being reduced. Meanwhile, the government's committed itself to, what is it, uh, something like 12 billion uh, extra when it comes to hard power, um, you know, um, stealth aircraft, um, aircraft carriers, um, drones, um, and uh, all, all the rest of it. So uh, this sort of made a certain sense to me, I have to say, in conditions of a Trump presidency and in the expectation of a Trump second term, it makes a lot less sense now, um, you know, in terms of Boris Johnson bo boasting about, well, Britain will have the, la the largest navy in Europe. So selling himself uh, to the United States as sort of, um, I don't know, the, the sort of Sparta uh, to the new Rome, maybe that makes a certain sense. But what we're also dealing with now, it would appear to be, is a Biden uh, presidency. And while Biden presidency won't uh, um, dismiss Britain, um, as a, a useful uh, ally, more as a symbolic ally, I have to symbolic ally. I have to say, the fact of the matter is, what we would expect to be dealing with now is something much closer, unless things um, go disastrously wrong. Um, something much closer to a softer Brexit as opposed to a harder uh, Brexit, and um, um, you know that that's obvious when you look at Biden talking about not wanting a border on the island of Ireland. Um, you know, if Britain uh, doesn't do a deal um, and just goes for WTO um, arrangements, I cannot see any way out uh, other than a hard border on the island of Ireland. Um, you know, we're dealing with two different uh, countries uh, covered by different trade terms and uh, i don't think ireland i southern ireland would have any choice other than to have a, a border uh, of some sort way uh, that's how it appears uh, to me so in terms of biden uh, he's clearly not supporting the breakup of the eu um, he's clearly not supporting uh, uh, brexit and uh, i don't interpret his remarks about ireland uh, just as some old time sentimentality uh, about where his relations came from um, a generation or whatever it was uh, ago. I don't think it's his Irishness uh, speaking on this one. Uh, I think that outlook of the incoming uh, Biden administration when it looks at uh, world uh, uh, politics. Um, okay, getting back uh, to Britain. Uh, in terms of um, uh, government uh, announcement on lockdown two, that's a national lockdown in England. Um, similar um, regimes um, exist in uh, Scotland, Wales and uh, Northern Ireland, but in England we're just about to come out and then go into uh, for the vast majority of the population, another form of uh, lockdown. Uh, this is under tiers two and three. London and Liverpool, I think, are in tier two. Cornwall and the Isle of Wight uh, are in tier one. That's the least restrictive. But a lot of the country uh, is going to be in tier two. Uh, tier three, excuse me, tier three. Um, and as a result of that, what we have um, um, is a situation of where uh, Tory MPs are, to use a phrase, revolting. Uh, they're threatening to vote against the Boris Johnson government and to disappear his uh, 80 majority and perhaps to humiliate him uh, by getting these measures through 
the House of Commons with Labour uh, uh, votes uh, as union minister and various bag uh, uh, carriers. Uh, so what we have uh, as we speak is Boris Johnson and the government busily rowing backwards and uh, talking about parliamentary reviews of this tier system and maybe the end um, of this uh, uh, tier uh, uh, system. Um, either way, it does strike me uh, that in very crude terms, uh, what we have here is a left-right division um, in politics. So it's uh, Tory backbenchers, the Tory right, uh, that is objecting to um, lockdown. I would call that myself um, a collectivist, a um, um, how should you put it, uh, a common stand uh, that puts the rights of the whole above the rights of the part. Um, that's a, a broad approach that I would support. Having said that, there's always the danger, and we see it every day of the police turning what is an emergency situation into a new normal, i.e., well, we can ban political demonstrations now. Well, we want to ban political demonstrations uh, in the future. Uh, we can slap huge fines on uh, people um, almost at, at, a, at a whim. Uh, we want to do that in the future. Nevertheless, uh, from our point of view, um, we do take um, society um, uh, for being real. We are not amongst those that say there is no such thing as society. There are only families uh, and um, individuals. We don't take the view uh, that because certain parts of London might be leafy and certain uh, populations in London have big gardens to go out to and have cars to drive um, and say, well, they shouldn't be under uh, tier two uh, uh, restrictions uh, because they are responsible, unlike people who live uh, in crowded parts of uh, East London, uh, such as Newham. Uh, we do take the view that there has to be uh, collectivity here and whether that... Uh, affects the whole of England or the whole of Britain or one city or one county uh, in spite of all the anomalies that that inevitably goes hand in hand with uh, I think that that is the right approach um, uh, otherwise yes you end up in a situation of the sort of libertarians of where well wearing a mask um, going into quarantine um, socially mixing uh, becomes a purely individual decision well yes all very well except what we're dealing with here is a virus uh, that spreads and um, you know um, uh, uh, that requires in my view uh, a collectivist approach and not an individualistic approach um, in London yesterday we had uh, anti-lockdown protests um, and this coincides with um, these Tory um, um, MPs being revolting. Now, I haven't uh, gone down to central London and had uh, a long chat uh, with these uh, uh, people, I readily uh, confess. I haven't actually been on a bus or a train uh, since early in the year. I've been out for walks and done shopping. Uh, nonetheless, in terms of you know, secondhand information, uh, friends of friends and all the rest of it. From what I can gather uh, with a lot of these uh, demonstrators, and I'm taking them very much as a, um, you know, um, an iceberg sort of phenomenon, uh, you know, that for every thousand people on a demonstration, there's a hundred thousand more that think like them uh, out there in, um, in the world sort of type idea. From my impression, what we're dealing with here uh, is a very petty bourgeois, uh, a layer of people and I include people in that category um, who've been petty bourgeoisie-fied um, you know by the erosion of regulations the drive that there's been at least in Britain to make people in inverted commas self-employed 
So, you know, Uber drivers would be an example of that, uh, people who exist in the gig economy. But all the way through from that uh, level, right at the bottom uh, in terms of pay and security, we also must uh, include small shopkeepers uh, and the likes of them who are ex in an extremely difficult position. Uh, given lockdowns and, uh, you know, shops being forced to close, restaurants forced to being closed, um, and them often having absolutely no income at all uh, to rely upon. And uh, my own view is this takes an ideological um, sort of, um, it manifests itself ideologically uh, with the governments lying to us. Uh, they can convince themselves that the virus is made up or it's something to do with 5G, or this is part of some huge conspiracy to inject us with some sort of mind control uh, device we can carry on down the line. But also, you know, just look at the United States. Um, and there, you know, amongst a, a good slice of uh, Republicans, in particular the most militant and uh, determined of Trump supporters, it's almost a badge of honor, isn't it? Uh, not wear a mask not to observe um, any sort of um, uh, lockdown. Uh, and indeed, what we've had um, in the United States, I believe, is the first Supreme Court judgment that's included Trump's new appointee, I think, Amy Coney uh, Bett. Her, her religious background, if comrades want to look it up, is quite surreal. I mean, officially, she's meant to be a Catholic, uh, but it really is of a, um, a very esoteric uh, form of uh, Catholicism. Either way, uh, what we've had is a 5-4 vote on the Supreme Court against uh, New York uh, banning large religious gatherings. And uh, this court case was taken by the Roman Catholic Church. And I don't know uh, which particular denomination, but some strand of uh, Orthodox uh, uh, jury. And you can read the results. They published their um, um, uh, judgments. You can read the majority vote. And they're basically taking the piss uh, out of uh, um, the um, um, attempt to ban large uh, religious gatherings and you know I don't know the exact because I haven't read it all but uh, it's along the lines well okay if you, you can get yourself a bottle of wine why can't you go and uh, take a sip of wine um, you know when it comes to the communion or something along those lines when you go out uh, to buy a bottle of wine you're mixing with people as you walk down the streets you mix with people in the in in why shouldn't we be able to do that in front of god sort of type idea so they're looking at the absurdities and of course there are absurdities in any uh, collective uh, action there's always anomalies but then if you look at the minority uh, um, judgment it's basically saying well here's the science um, here's the disease something ought to be done about it if more people aren't going to die. Um, so the majority a minority. Um, but the, the significant thing about the Supreme Court now, we don't know how the Senate's going to turn out, uh, but presuming that the Democrats don't get a majority in the Senate, uh, then this Supreme Court um, can't be touched at least for another two years um, until there's new elections to the Senate. And perhaps it's not going to be uh, uh, touched in terms of the conservative majority in it uh, for a generation. In other words, you know, hacking the Supreme Court matters um, in the United States. It's not some tiny matter. Makes real judgments, makes real decisions that affect real Lie. Here's the first uh, judgment um, that we've had. Um, okay. Okay. In Britain, a couple of things um, also relating to the Labour Party. I was just listening to Stan in terms of his introductory, um, how should you put it, chit chat to uh, comrades who arrived uh, early uh, at the uh, forum. Uh, quoting the deputy leader of the Labour Party, 
someone who some sections of the left backed um, um, in the leadership um, um, contest, some sections of the left, that's right. And she's talking about getting rid of thousands uh, of people in the Labour Party. Well, it's no surprise uh, to me. Um, my own um, expectation is, yes, many thousands of people will be expelled uh, from uh, the Labour Party. The real question comes, the crunch comes, will they actually go uh, for general secretaries of union? Will they go, in other words, uh, for Len McCluskey, uh, the leader of, I think, Britain's now second largest union, used to be the biggest donor to the Labour Party, you know, um, he's come out and defended Jeremy Corbyn. Um, he's constantly pulled water on the um, anti-Semitism smear uh, campaign. Um, well, you know, if Jeremy Corbyn is guilty, he's guilty for him. I mean, and, and that's a question I, I just don't know. But the logic is there. The logic is uh, the more people you throw to this witch hunt, the more emboldened uh, the witch hunt uh, becomes. Uh, that's the logic of witch hunt. So even under uh, Corbyn and under General Secretary Jenny Formby, it even became an offence uh, to actually deny that the Labour Party has an anti-Semitic problem. And I would say that the Labour Party doesn't have an anti-Semitic problem. What do I mean by that? It's not that nobody in the Labour Party has, pre not ha has no prejudices uh, against uh, Jewish people. I'm sure that they do. But you'll also find plenty of male chauvinists. You'll find plenty of national chauvinists. You'll find plenty of people who've got really deep and uh, unpleasant prejudices against travellers and gypsies or Roma. Um, you know, and one can carry on down the list. And indeed, uh, if anyone knows anything about Indian politics, you can also find the politics of caste uh, that uh, uh, dominate much of Indian politics and society transferred inevitably into British society and also into the British Labour Party. So Brahmin elitism, you'll find that uh, in the Labour Party. You'll find prejudice against so-called untouchables. My approach to this question is uh, uh, not zero tolerance, uh, but fierce debate. Yes, I'm not saying that at the end of the day, uh, one shouldn't expel people. But the first recourse should be debate, rational debate, uh, uh, no hold barred uh, uh, debate. But I am saying that in terms of the Labour Party, is it a wash with anti-Semites? No, um, you know, I've been around uh, the labor movement for many years, uh, coming across anti-Semitic uh, prejudices or uh, uh, anti-Semitic outlook, extraordinarily rare. Uh, and I think that's the truth. Is the Labour Party attached to an anti-Semitic world outlook? No, of course not, unless one says uh, that with the previous Clause 4 that was introduced in 1918, you can read as an anti-capitalist clause for uh, that somehow to be anti-capitalist, to be pro-socialism of any sort is to be anti-Jewish. Well, uh, I think once you get into that territory, uh, that's pretty stinky. Uh, and I don't think that the Labour Party suffers from that problem. But yes, under Corbyn's regime to have that, and I do say it, uh, that becomes an offence and it's called denialism. And I've just denied it. Uh, and that is against um, Labour Party rules. Um, so Angela Rayner promises thousands uh, of people driven out. The logic is actually uh, that you go to Angela Rayner herself and her statements on Palestine. In this week's Weekly Worker, we run a, uh, a picture of uh, Keir Starmer sitting next to um, the MP in uh, Holborn and St Pancras, which is in um, north central London, um, Holborn and St Pancras. This is now Keir Starmer's uh, constituency. The guy sitting next to him in our picture is Frank Dobson. Um, so this is Keir Starmer 
um, on the make, I want to become a politician, but standing there, yes, in a pro-Palestinian meeting at the time of the sea bombing uh, of Gaza. It would be interesting to see what he said then when he wanted to appeal uh, to the Labour Party rank and file and to see whether he now judges what he said is anti-Semitic. Well, looking at how things are defined now, uh, yes, he would be. I'll develop my remarks about Corbyn in a, in a minute. I actually looked up pace. I don't know if anyone else looked at it, of a guy called Nicholas Nelson. Uh, this is a young man who um, maybe was suffering from some sort of mental uh, problems. I don't know. I haven't followed the court case in detail, but I did go and look at uh, what was um, uh, transcribed from his, his abusive phone calls to various Labour politicians, including John Mann, who, as far as I know, isn't Jewish. And the only words he used other than fuck, cunt, bastard, and the usual list of uh, Anglo-Saxon uh, phrases was Zionist. Never anywhere did he refer to anyone as a Jewish something or other, merely Zionist. Uh, John Mann, when he came to John Mann, he said, I wish you were dead. I wish you would have a heart attack, which I'm sure is a very unpleasant thing uh, to wish upon someone. But all the mainstream press were reporting this guy, Corbyn supporter, Nicholas Nelson, as an anti-Semite. Well, they haven't produced any evidence. And yet this is what the judge found. So in terms of uh, uh, to be anti-Semitic now in Britain, according to the courts, uh, this was the judgment. He was not thrown into prison. He was given a suspended sentence, I think, for something like 20 months. But yeah, if you if you use the word Zionist, and maybe if you add in some, uh, you know, sort of abusive word either after it or before it, you might. This is my problem uh, with dictionary definitions or going to the courts. Uh, the courts are moving. Um, on this question as we speak. So we also have the news that Jeremy Corbyn is taking the Labour Party to the High Court, uh, which will cost him a pretty penny. But he has a pretty penny uh, because loads of people have been donated to his legal fund, so he's got the money to spend. I'm sure he's got some very good lawyers um, on his side. And his basic case is that the Labour Party hasn't gone through proper procedure. Either Keir Starmer has interfered in the process. So it's Keir Starmer turning around or secretary after Jeremy Corbyn said, well, this problem's been much exaggerated. It's been used by my factional opponents. Maybe Starmer picked up the phone, sent an email, or walked down to Victoria Street down the road from Park and had a word with um, General Secretary Evans. I don't know. Maybe, as Corbyn also says, uh, that there was actually a get-together between uh, the Chief of Staff and the Deputy Chief of Staff of the Labour Party and um, uh, Len McCluskey and uh, another ally of, um, of, of Jeremy uh, Corbyn and they came to an agreement about how Corbyn would be uh, treated when it came to both Labour Party membership um, also of course um, his relationship to the parliamentary uh, Labour Party. I don't know uh, what the truth is. I'm quite prepared to believe uh, Corbyn's uh, version of events. We shall see. But my problem is precisely uh, you could spend a quarter of a million going to the High Court. Uh, you could cost the Labour Party half a million fitting it. Uh, you could perhaps win your own costs. So hence uh, the half a million to the Labour Party. OK, so Corbyn is vindicated. The Labour Party didn't go through proper procedure or Keir Starmer um, interfered where he shouldn't have been interfered. He walks out of the High Court and the same thing happens to uh, Jeremy Corbyn that happened to Chris Williamson, uh, the Labour MP who showed backbone against the witch hunt, who refused to capitulate uh, to the witch hunt. He took the Labour Party to court. He won. He won. He was vindicated. He walks out, bang, uh, under Corbyn's regime, he's suspended again. And that's what they can do. So they go through proper procedure. 
So if they haven't gone through proper procedure, this time, all they do is turn around and say, well, this time we're going through proper procedure. Sorry, Jeremy, because imagine the situation. The courts decide that Jeremy Corbyn has been not treated according to rules, and Keir Starmer turns around and says, oh, in that case, Jeremy, welcome back. All is forgiven. That's not going to work politically. Uh, 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 Starmer has uh, his first statement on being elected was, I'm going to sort the anti-Semitism crisis in the Labour Party out. Well, there's no crisis. Uh, this is about uh, a witch hunt and basically committed to the witch hunt. And the right and the media will force him on and on and on. Uh, I don't know when he will retreat, if he will retreat, or with he will, whether he will just follow that logic. Either way, Jeremy Corbyn, in my view, uh, will be out uh, at the end of the day, along with thousands um, um, of others. And all I, you know, I, I did look this question up because, um, you know, at the moment in Labour Against the Witch Hunt, there's something of a, a debate going on. In, even in our own ranks, there's been something of a debate going on about the advisability of using courts. I'm not in principle against it. That would be stupid. It's a tactic. But in general, I'm against it. And we need to recognize that the courts are not friends of the left. They're not friends of the working class movement. They are enemies of the left, enemies of the working class movement. So I looked up um, um, some court cases from the 80s. This is when militant tendency around uh, the paper militant, which is now our socialist party in England and Wales and Scotland and all the rest of it, uh, was something in the Labour Party. They had two and a half MPs. Uh, they dominated the youth section. Uh, you know, they were a real present at the constituency level. And I think at a, at a time they employed more full-time staff than the Labour Party uh, itself. They, they were a very successful operation. And uh, the Labour Party bureaucracy moved against them, uh, in particular in the 1980s. And in 1982, I could be wrong, um, they were expelled. The five uh, members of uh, the militant editorial board were expelled. They went to the courts and the courts upheld it. Later, uh, further on into the 80s, um, again, a number of comrades um, around militant tried a court case uh, because uh, of proper procedure. And I think the courts might have found in favour of them. I'm not sure. But then the Labour Party, under General Secretary Jim Mortimer, um, who'd previously, I think, been suspended or expelled from the Labour Party in the 1950s because of his involvement with the Anglo-Chinese Friendship Society, right? So, you know, here, here's someone who used to be on the left, who's now purging the left. The General Secretary simply tightened up the procedure and they were still out. And, and that's my point. Uh, that uh, uh, we can spend hundreds of thousands of pounds um, basically creating an illusion uh, that the courts are somehow fair, somehow uh, neutral, and all uh, authorities have to do is tighten up on their procedure. Uh, the establishment will back uh, Keir Starmer, will back this purge, and I've already illustrated with the case of this poor poor young man, um, uh, Nicholas Nelson, you know, how, how definitions are already changing in, in front of us. And of course, in the United States, as well as Britain, though in the United States, I think it's, um, you know, <laughs> you know, maybe it will come end under Biden, but I doubt it. Uh, you've had Pompeo uh, talking about uh, the BDS campaign, boycott, disinvestment and sanctions campaign being deemed as anti-Semitic. You've had Oxfam <laughs> cast as anti-Semitic, Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International. Um, in Britain, we've had the government say uh, that um, um, organizations that preach anti-capitalism uh, shouldn't uh, appear in any literature uh, that's put in front of um, school kids. And uh, yeah, that's extremist and you must avoid anti-Semitic um, uh, material. So that, that basically excludes anyone who's in solidarity uh, with Palestine, anyone who opposes uh, the witch hunt um, in the Labour Party. 
so the the courts it's the wrong it's the wrong road to take it, this is not uh, a, a, a a sensible strategy it's a disastrous strategy and it's not a clever tactic uh, to employ at the present time if we're taken to court yeah of course get up on the witness stand especially if you can appeal a jury uh, um, that's, a, 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 of course, a good thing to do. And we've had experience of appealing to juries successfully um, on the basis of uh, uh, politics. It's one of the great strengths of the jury system. Doesn't really matter whether you're guilty or not. Uh, if they're in sympathy with you, they'll find you innocent. And that's great. Okay, so in terms of the Labour Party, I think I've done that one um just a couple more things um in terms of british politics we've got the changing of the guard at number 10 not only do we have um dominic cummings and um, lee kane uh, go uh, we've now got dan rosenfield in um, he's a civil servant and he's previously worked under George Osborne. He was the former chancellor of the Exchequer under David Cameron, but also worked uh, for Alistair Campbell, uh, the previous Labour uh, chancellor of the Exchequer. So he's viewed by the establishment as a safe pair of hands. Uh, we've also got Lee, Cleo Watson going from number 10. My interpretation of out uh, between very, um, you know, um, um, in um, Boris Johnson's office, that's not my reading of it. My reading of it is uh, Trump seems to have lost the election in America. It doesn't look like there'll be a second term Trump administration. Looks like it's going to be Joe Biden. Whoops. Uh, this any sense that Brexit had a hard Brexit had, in my view, is gone. And uh, basically, the, the economists are saying, well, you know, if you think this recession, deepest in 300 years, is bad, now it looks like at least the potential to add on top of that a hard Brexit and a further downward yank uh, in terms of the UK uh, economy. Just what you need when you're in a hole uh, to dig yourself deeper in. And in my view, at least, that's why Dominic Cummings uh, has gone. Uh, that's why Lee Kane has gone. That's why Mr. Sensible has come in, because what at least the government's going to try to do is go for a soft Brexit, some sort of deal um, uh, with the EU. Now, in terms of that deal, um, a lot of it hangs around things like, well, who does sides in terms of trade disputes is it going to be brussels or is it going to be something different um i'm only guessing brussels will be insisting on brussels you also got the symbolic role of fish uh, believe it or not fish in terms of the british economy will be something like i mean i don't know what naught percent it would account for uh, but bugger all little how many people nowadays are involved in the fishing industry directly a few thousand that's all that it's going to be tiny numbers the british fishing fleet is much diminished um uh, either way um, an awful lot of british fish that's fished in british waters is then exported to the eu we like certain fish they like certain fish we dislike certain fish etc 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 the point would be that from Boris Johnson's point of view, it matters politically. It matters symbolically that Britain has control of its own waters, control over its own fishing grounds. And if he fails, then he's going to get an almighty backlash from these uh, right-wing Tory MPs we're speaking uh, about. And also from the right-wing uh, media, the right-wing press, the Daily Mail, the Sun, the Telegraph. Um, you know, they really do play up British sovereignty british control um, so to have french fish or fish uh, fishermen or spanish uh, uh, boats fishing in british waters is considered you know a national uh, uh, disgrace so it's quite conceivable in spite of uh, johnson rowing back 
in terms of a hard Brexit and uh, uh, cleaving up to the United States to be front of the queue to get a good deal off uh, uh, Donald Trump, uh, quite conceivable that the negotiations um, uh, end unsuccessfully, not because of um, ill wishes from either side, but because everyone is tied uh, to particular set of politics. And in Britain, fishing matters. Um, and I, I don't know whether it plays the same role in Holland, Spain or France, but I know what role it plays in British national mythology. It matters. Um, meanwhile, it is worthwhile just making the point the EU is a rickety, um, ineffective um, organisation. And all you need to do um, is look at one, Britain leaving, it, that will happen, but also um, Poland and Hungary, the illiberal uh, democracies not playing ball when it comes to um, an emergency budget in the midst of a huge economic uh, downturn. Now, again, I understand it from their point of view. Uh, they don't want Brussels interfering in how they treat judges or how they treat minorities. Uh, um, you know, Poland obviously has just passed that most restrictive abortion legislation you can imagine. Um, either way, uh, there are political imperatives on both sides. Uh, but here you have a confederation of uh, states where the majority uh, cannot impose its will on two relatively minor, relatively weak states. States that are actually economically dependent on Germany, France, um, and uh, you know the the core um, economic powers um, in the EU. Something eventually will have to give. Um, when, how, I haven't got a clue. Maybe it will be the proletariat um, that will that can only unite Europe. I don't know. Um, either way, at the moment, the EU um, is. Uh, in a high state of um, malfunctioning. Lastly, no, no, not lastly, penultimately, um, Trump. Well, wow, um, I don't know what, I don't almost know what to say. Um, I was never of the view uh, that uh, the United States stood on the edge of war. I do think, though, uh, that the United States stands on the edge of big civil uh, disturbance. Um, Trump, sometimes he appears in the mainstream media to concede uh, that he lost or that Joe Biden has won, or at least Joe Biden looks, you know, the transition regime, the rest of it. On the other hand, he then turns around and says, no, the election was stolen, massive fraud. For example, one story that I've just picked up is on January the 20th, when Biden will have his inauguration uh, ceremony. Uh, there's talk of him actually launching um, his 20, 2024 presidential bid. Uh, now, I can, uh, you know, I can imagine at the moment uh, the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo militias of various sorts saying, how are we going to disrupt the Joe Biden um, 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 you know, um, inauguration. How are we going to disrupt this illegitimate uh, administration? And we've already had a long history of right-wing militias and lone walls who've got connections uh, with right-wing militias uh, letting bombs off. Um, so that wouldn't surprise me. Um, street clashes uh, wouldn't surprise me. You know, all sorts of outrages, that wouldn't uh, uh, surprise me. Um, so the question is, while if you look at the Biden presidency, and I think there will be a Biden presidency, the Financial Times led with the, um, I think, headline, uh, something along the lines of um, the grown-ups have taken back command. Well, yeah, sure. Um, on the other hand, the conditions that led to Trump aren't going to go away. They'll actually intensify. Uh, the economic crisis ain't going to go away. The social uh, dislocation um, um, that uh, caused Trump isn't going to go away. Trump, Trump, his um, next uh, uh, presidential campaign might flat on its face. Uh, maybe, but maybe not. 
Um, I think it'd be very foolish uh, to dismiss um, uh, Trump um, as an individual, uh, but certainly Trump as a, a phenomenon um, in uh, politics. In the United States, politics are polarizing to the right. Um, that's the uh, general uh, route of travel. I won't comment on um, uh, Biden's um, foreign policy. It, it does conform more or less to what I thought, and I, I, you know, I've spoken about it before. I don't think there'll be any change when it comes to China. I think there'll be change when it comes to Russia. I think Saudi Arabia will be hauled in. But meanwhile, uh, we've had, and I've been coached on this one, so excuse me, I'm going to humiliate myself. We've had the assassination of the so-called father of the um, Iranian nuclear um, industry, Mohsen, and here we get to um, my complete um, lack of um, Farsi, Fakarishta. I'm, but I've been told not to emphasize the K. Uh, but anyway, that's the last time I'm going to say his, his name. But yeah, um, a, a, a brazen assassination um, of a leading scientist. There's talk that he was um, now something in the Revolutionary Guards, uh, that he was some sort of junior minister. Either way, uh, the assassination of him in broad daylight and uh, the killing of his um, uh, bodyguards um, is clearly a provocation. And um, one can only guess at um, who was responsible for it. Um, perhaps individuals involved uh, were members of MEK, uh, the Mujahideen al Kalk, which is a really weird organization. Um, it used to be a left-wing Muslim sort of marxist -y sort of organization, um, but it, it evolved um, to being pro-imperialist and into a really very strange cult. And the reason why there's speculation about its uh, cadre could have been involved is one, because it's got a history of involvement in such episodes in Iran. After all, if you're an Iranian, it's much easier to operate in Iran than if you are uh, an Israeli um, Mossad um, uh, agent and you speak Farsi, maybe with a, I don't know, a Hebrew accent. Um, uh, either way, there's also the fact that uh, they detonated, detonated a bomb and almost, you know, it, this was such a dangerous operation because there were security guards that it almost amounted to a suicide uh, operation. So maybe it was uh, MEK, but clearly those directing it, it's not hard to work out uh, the non-denial of Israel, Betamin Netanyahu naming this guy, um, and then ultimately it goes back to Donald Trump. And then you have to ask the question, is this just the United States behaving as it's done in the past? Because previously we had assassinations of people, scientists involved in the nuclear program, uh, that's happened. I think four were assassinated previously. Uh, we've had um, um, uh, airstrikes uh, against um, missile facilities and nuclear facilities. We've also had um, um, hacking operations and uh, fires breaking out uh, in various uh, facilities in Iran. Um, is this merely the latest? the long line. And of course, he also had the assassination huh, of um, Qasim um, Suleiman, the head of the overseas operations of uh, the revolutionary uh, guards. And of course, what you've got in Iran is many statements about we will revenge ourselves. Uh, but these revenge attacks tend to happen, you know, I'm just making this up now, you know, in very obscure um, attacks on embassies out there in some other far foreign field, you know, so they will choose uh, maybe to assassinate someone in South America somewhere or Southeast Asia uh, somewhere. Um, you know, um, either way, uh, you know, if um, the Iranian government ever wanted to listen to me and they don't, uh, they're very well advised uh, not to strike back in a spectacular way because one can at least imagine uh, Donald Trump wanting his legacy to be 
uh, some sort of grander version of shock and awe uh, against Iran that takes out its nuclear destroys its uh, efforts and air force, uh, destroys the um, command structure and communication structure um, um, of uh, the country. The United States is capable uh, of doing that. It could use Israel as a proxy, uh, but if it really wants to do the job, it has to be the United States itself. And one, all one needs to say is, well, it's Donald Trump. And we know his uh, history of uh, nearly strike back after a US drone uh, was shot down and landed in the sea, I think, uh, near uh, the coast of Iran. We know he's an incredibly mercurial uh, uh, character. We know that he's got this um, obsession uh, to revenge uh, the United States on Iran. We know all about the sanctions. We know about the previous history. Does he want his final moment uh, to be not only an attack on Iran, um, but uh, setting light the entire region? Uh, because if Iran was attacked, um, what's going to happen in terms of Hezbollah forces or Iranian forces in Syria? What's going to happen with Hezbollah forces um, in the Lebanon? What's going to happen on the Arab street? What's going to happen in Saudi Arabia? You know, you, you, you just start speculating and um, you can talk about, I mean, using a biblical term and I'm obviously exaggerating, but you can be talking about Armageddon, uh, that the whole region slips into um, the flames of war and uh, destruction. Is Trump capable of doing that? Well, you ask the question, and I think you get the answer is he is capable of doing it. In other words, if Iran responds, uh, they will hit hard. Um, and there are uh, provocations from Israel stroke um, the United States. Uh, we should expect that in the coming days and weeks uh, that remain uh, of the Trump presidency. Thanks. Thanks, Chuck. That's uh, 